Grove. A special hello goes out to the director of media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Mark Boyan. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. This show is created to give a voice to former pro players and personalities, allowing them to share some of the greatest stories this game has to tell. So let's take a trip to the heart of the classic hockey universe and celebrate the history of the game with the select few who actually lived it. Episode 62 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast features Robin Burns, one of the most entertaining and impactful people to ever play in the NHL. As a left wing for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Kansas City Scouts in the 1970s, Burns was known as a fun guy, a natural comedian, and the life of the party. But Robin was also a visionary, who would eventually pioneer one of the most important hockey equipment innovations, the visor. After rising to president of Micron's skate company, Robin founded a long-shot startup called iTech in the basement of his Montreal home. iTech would grow into one of the three biggest hockey companies in the world. iTech was just one of many successful business endeavors for Robin, who, in his spare time, would also become an agent for several NHL coaches, including his cousin, Pat Burns. We'll follow Robin's incredible journey from his youth in Montreal and the Montreal Junior Canadiens to the American Southwest, Hershey, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and right through his inspirational rise to the top of the hockey business mountain. Despite his entrepreneurial success, Robin remains a humble, self-effacing guy and one of the best storytellers in hockey. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Robin Burns. We're back on the show with a man on the move, Robin Burns, a hard-nosed left wing in the National Hockey League with Kansas City and Pittsburgh, a successful entrepreneur, uh, a, a coach's agent. A lot of people forget that right in the middle there, representing uh, his cousin Pat Burns and Terry Murray and other coaches in the National Hockey League, but a man who's uh, quite, covered quite a bit of ground in, in hockey in general. Robin, thanks so much for being with us today. Mark, it is my pleasure. Uh, I know we've both been running around the last uh, few weeks. We've been trying to put this together, but uh, finally we got it together, and uh, it is really an honor to be on with you today. Well, I greatly appreciate that. And I was curious, growing up in Montreal as a young man, I'm assuming that you obviously were a Canadiens fan and perhaps had the dream of playing in the National Hockey League when you get older. Is is that the case? And what was it like, the uh, youth hockey scene for yourself in Montreal at that time? Well, I, I grew up in the West, you know, the West End of Montreal. It's it an area called Notre Dame de Grasse, or abbreviated NDG. And uh, I was, as a young man, I played in the, in the parks. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have artificial ice uh, and uh, so we played, uh, uh, you know, in, in the park areas, and, and uh, I lived right uh, close to this one park. Actually, the famous Red Story uh, lived uh, three doors down from me, and uh, he did give me a pair of skates. Uh, I was going through the, the alleyway, and I was on my ankles, and Red uh, gave me a pair of skates. So wow. uh, I, I, I ended up, uh, and then the... the in that area, they put together a top uh, Bantam team. And I actually started as a goalie, but then they started to lift the puck. So I said, get the hell out of here. You know, this is 
and in those days, of course, uh, no mass, so the, the puck would go and hit the screen behind me, and you were playing outdoors. You could hardly see the thing. I said, I'm, you know, I said, I, I know I'm stupid, but not that stupid. <laughs> so I ended up, uh, I ended up playing out, and uh, so then uh, at Bandom they put like a, a whole district together called the NG Monarchs, and I played on that team, and then and then after that, and uh, I played for NDG Junior B, but. You know, I was a, a, probably a very, very, very lucky uh, person. The Montreal Forum was my home rink from the time I was 13 years old. So when, when you are around uh, the Montreal Canadiens, the Montreal Royals at that time, uh, the Junior Canadiens, the, and, and going down to Junior B, uh, it, was, it was something. We all had a locker. We all got, like, the, the hand-me-downs from the Canadiens and the Royals from the wow. <laughs> right time. By the time you got your equipment had been well used and rebombed and everything, but it was, uh, you know, I get my first pair of CCM tax skates. And you, if you ever got a pair of tax skates, you, that was the greatest moment of your life. Uh, so, so, you know, the Canadians, uh, I signed a seat card with them and got a hundred bucks, which I thought was like a million bucks. And, and uh, I was the property of the Canadians from the time I was 13 years old. So of course, I was a huge fan of the Canadians, and being at the forum from the time you're 13, you were able to uh, to rub shoulders with uh, some of the some of the greatest hockey players in the world. So it was it was uh, it was a dream of mine, and uh, they say dreams come true, and I can uh, I can verify that my dream did definitely come true. Well, Robin, beginning in '64 '65, you begin a three-year stint with the Montreal Junior Canadiens, and a team not short on talent. You've got future Hall of Famers like Jacques Lemaire and Serge Savard and guys like Craig Patrick, uh, Carol Vadney, Jude Drouin, and, of course, a young coach by the name of Scotty Bowman. So I was curious what that environment was like getting groomed to eventually play in the National Hockey League and with a future legendary coach like Scotty Bowman. Well, you know, when uh, you hit the nail on the head, we were all, uh, and uh, you know, young, but we were all uh, totally, totally engulfed in the in the Montreal system. Uh, as young men, uh, they, we had to wear a shirt and tie constantly on the on the road. We uh, there was no jeans. Uh, we believe it or not, uh, at a very young age, Scotty had us wearing fedoras, and uh, he got us a deal on these coats, and uh, it, it, like. We all used to take our fedora and we'd put them in our back pocket as we as we got off the bus or we got it, we we'd throw it on you know to please Scotty. But when you talk about coaches like you know like uh, just in '67 when I turned pro and Savard, like you said, Savard, Vadnell, Larry Grant, Monahan, Redman, Esposito, like you know you're talking about uh, legends of the game and and uh, you know a lot of them went on to be former general managers like even Larry Plow, Craig Patrick. Our, our team was just stacked with so much talent, uh, and, and it was incredible. So it was an honor just to be on that team. And then when you had someone like Scott, we had Claude Ruel also was one of our coaches. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Scotty, uh, Scotty Bowman. Uh, but Scotty was, he was, um, he honed himself uh, in junior. And, and when I saw him years later, he, he really never changed. Uh, like everybody that, that I know that uh, knows Scotty really well that coached them said, you know, I, I hated the SOB until they presented me my Stanley Cup ring. You know, like <laughs> right. he, 
he, he definitely, he, he, I remember one time we were playing in uh, St. Catharines and Jock Lemaire had came over and he didn't go to the red line and he flipped the puck in. So there was an icing and that, and, and certainly they scored. And so Scotty came in and threw all the sticks at Lemaire and says, as long as I'm coaching, you'll, you'll never play a game in the National Hockey League. Well, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Here's Jacques Lemaire, probably one of the, one of the greatest, uh, uh, you know, on that line with uh, Lafleur and Shutt. Uh, mm-hmm. There was probably one of the greatest lines ever. And 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 Bowman, uh, he didn't care who he chewed out. He did. He didn't care. But he had an incredible, incredible, incredible memory for situations. And he would remember games, uh, you know, years before on such and such a play. And he. He'd have people like Pierre Bouchard, but someone would be sitting on the bench and it'd be two minutes to go in a game. Scotty'd put them on in a situation, and you, you look around and you, you shake your head and go, "What the hell he's doing?" But you know, back then we would have eaten the puck. Uh, you know, we would we would have gone through the boards uh, just to, to make sure that uh, the other team didn't score. So Scotty and his practices were 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 difficult. Were were. You know, you you had to be in shape with Scotty. He, he demanded uh, certain things, but uh, when when and Scotty back when people didn't realize what line matching was doing, he 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 would put certain combinations in it. And so Scotty was ahead of his time in junior, and then of course he he just went on to to probably uh, you know be the all time, and and I don't know if it ever be broken. Uh, you know, coaches in the National Hockey League, and and I think he's got now uh, with Stanley Cups uh, after you know all the different teams that he's associated with. I think he's got about a dozen Stanley Cup wins or so. Right. You know, so the man, the man is a, he was just in town uh, here last night with Ken Dryden, and they had a a big soiree. I was supposed to go, but I headed down to see my granddaughter uh, play at the University of Vermont against. Uh, Dartmouth, so I, I I chose to head to Vermont to watch my granddaughter. But I can wrote a book about Scotty and uh, and all of the eight best teams that he ever uh, coached and coached against. Uh, and and so I it would have been a very interesting story. But Scotty, you could sit and listen to Scotty for hours at his stories. Uh, amazing man and an, and an amazing career and still going strong. Absolutely. One thing about Scotty Bowman is he has a real appreciation for the history of the game and uh, really respects the tradition of the game, although he's in the middle of it and a big part of hockey history. He really always he always had a, a love of uh, you know, the guys who came and appreciation of the guys who came before him. And as you said, he's still going strong. I just wanted to ask you a question. You said your granddaughter's at the University of Vermont. I'm assuming playing uh, soccer or lacrosse? No, oh, she's playing hockey down there. Uh, she's a very fortunate young lady. Uh, her name's Haley Burns, and she uh, got a four-year scholarship to University of Vermont. Uh, absolutely incredible when you think about, uh, you know, the cost of uh, schooling and to go down there and be uh, lucky enough to get a scholarship. And they, they just they played last night and beat Dartmouth four two. Uh, it was very, very interesting game and Dartmouth. Uh, Certainly, were no slouches, but in in the NCAA women's hockey, boy, I tell you, you can see some of these young ladies that, uh, going back in the initial days of women's hockey, they they weren't as uh, proficient skaters as they 
as you have today. And today, boy, I'll tell you, those young ladies, they they have wheels. They can skate, so uh, including my granddaughter. So, and, and, it's, it's, and it's enjoyable hockey. So uh, after all is said and done, look, uh, I, I, I could have gone to see Scotty and, uh, and Ken Dryden last night uh, and uh, know them both very well and probably would have been entertained, but I... Uh, I chose as a as a as a good grandpa to head down and watch my granddaughter. <laughs> well, that is great because you don't have those chances often, and you never know. You know, it's uh, like I said, wow. she, that's a quite an accomplishment on her part. And as you noted, you know, I was talking to somebody this weekend. Uh, we were down at Madison Square Garden. I was talking to some people there. They have Amanda Kessel, one of the great U.S. players, and oh, yeah. we were just talking about. You know, when I've watched the pro game, we have a pro team up here in the, in the, uh, the women's hockey league, pro women's hockey league called the Boston Pride. And the skill level on these young ladies is fantastic. And more than that, their skill level is great, but they're all great ambassadors for the game. I think they they don't have it easy, and so they have to fight for everything that they have, especially at the pro level. But they're great ambassadors, great role models, and it's a sport that... If you watch it and you're not familiar with it, you'd be pleasantly surprised. A lot of talent and, and, and a, a good experience, to be sure. And as you said, improving dramatically. Look at the uh, the All-Star game last year when they had a young lady in the, in the skating competition, and she was no slouch. She could she could right. move as fast as any of the men on the ice. So, and I think... I think it kind of blew blew the socks off a lot of the, uh, the NHLers that were that were there on the ice. I talked to a few of them. <laughs> a few of them could not believe how fast she was. But I, you know, just to go off track a second here, I I, I think the NHL, in my opinion, uh, I think the NHL is missing a golden opportunity. Uh, you know, the NBA is done it. I think the NHL should take you know these these women under their wing and each team you know, uh, sponsor a, a, a woman's team because uh, there's so many women uh, hockey fans out there. And I, I, I think they're just missing an opportunity to really, and it wouldn't cost them uh, that much money uh, to, you know, to have that woman's professional league and take them under their wing. Uh, anyways, that's a paid political announcement. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will, uh, I will endorse that political announcement and say that I think it's just a matter of time. I think the product is too good and the demand is going to be strong enough to, as you said, what they really need is the NHL to take them under their wing, get them to that next level, get them the exposure, perhaps playing more double headers, you, you know, whatever it would, yeah. would take. Wow. And with all the TV exposure you would get and media exposure, I think that's all they need to get them to that. Your name, Castle. I mean, uh, you know, her brother is probably one of the greatest, uh, you know, to scores. Uh, and you see her; she's got that uh, that touch as well. So you know, the Kessel family. Uh, and and it's not only them. You could go on and name name names of all these. Uh, I mean, Haley Wickenheiser uh, representing Canada for so many Olympics, and uh, you know, it's always the Olympic gold always comes down to Canada, U.S. and uh, mm-hmm. And it's entertaining hockey. I mean, you sit and you turn on a gold medal game between Canada and the U.S., you're entertained. It's, uh, you know, it's not like uh, a secondary uh, sport uh, that, you're, that you're just watching because it's the Olympics. They, they entertain you. And, uh, you know, there's not the hitting, but it's still rough. You know, people don't think it's rough. It's still rough. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, 
Uh, it's all about body positioning, and uh, it is you have to be adept at the physical game to succeed in the women's league. And again, as you said, it's not flat-out checking, uh, but you do have to be able to withstand punishment to make plays and position yourself yeah. properly. So anyway, going back to Robin Burns in your career, you end up going from that talented Montreal Junior Canadiens team to a very talented Houston Apollos team in the Central League. And I had Phil Meir on the show uh, recently and was talking a little bit about the experience. Now, you're a Canadian kid. You spent your entire life in Montreal. You're in Houston, Texas, playing professional hockey. What was the atmosphere like there uh, as a hockey player? Well, it, 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 it certainly uh, was was an incredible change. You know, when you grow up, uh, you grow up in this, especially in this climate here and, and hockey in the winter, and it certainly... Uh, the, the knowledge of, of the hockey fans is incredible and everybody participates in hockey and then you, you're heading down south to, you know, now you all come back now, you, you know, and you're from Texas. So, you know, you, you're a good old boy from Texas now and you just, you know, and we played in the old San Houston Coliseum and it, it wasn't a huge seating and uh, it was it was wire mesh the first year we were there and the uh, and you're there, and the top prospects of, of the Canadians uh, were there. Phil, Phil Mirt and uh, you know Antonio Esposito, and I could I could list you, you know the the, the top choices of all Montreal. Uh, we were there, and then uh, Montreal also had Cleveland Barons and uh, uh, the American League, but the Central League was that development league at that time. So it was it was an experience, uh, and and living I'd never. I'd never been in a, uh, uh, a situation where, you know, like uh, we had a, a guard, the Hallmark, uh, in the complex uh, where we where we stayed, and uh, Homer had notches on his guns where he had shot some blacks and some Mexicans. And I, coming out of MBG, I, I'd never I'd never really faced uh, too much racism, and uh, you know, back in 1967. Uh, there was a lot of it, and uh, mm-hmm. I, it was very foreign to uh, a lot of us Canadian kids. Uh, but Houston, and the, well, I remember Christmas Day, they, they phoning my parents, wishing them Merry Christmas. And I think it was we were sitting around the pool. It was about seventy-five degrees, and it was just uh, Montreal was at one of those minus twenty Christmases, and yeah. <laughs> and you're sitting there, and it was a different world. And so you know, coming from. Uh, as a kid growing up uh, in an upper duplex and then going and renting these, uh, these unbelievable condos uh, that we had uh, down there, <clears throat> excuse me. And it was your, your eyes. But one thing about Sam Pollock, uh, general manager of Montreal, he was an equal opportunity employer. He didn't want to overpay anybody. So, you know, a guy like Savard got 5,000 assigned, well, they're 2,500 and, you know, a bunch of us got, Fifteen hundred, a thousand bucks, and he paid us all five thousand for the year. So you think we were we were getting five five thousand bucks to play hockey? And I think every one of us down there probably, probably would have played hockey for nothing. But uh, you know, you look at salaries today and things. Uh, more power to all the guys. Uh, you know, I I hope they they make as much money as they can. But uh, living in Houston was a different experience. Uh, the following year, I ended up coming out and getting married. And the following year, I had a 
had a son born in, in Houston, so I have a, a good old boy of a Texas boy <laughs> in the family. <laughs> so, well, anyhow, I want, it was it was a great experience, Mark. I wanted to ask you about a, a couple of your teammates. One who we've lost recently, recently passed away, and you mentioned earlier, Denny Grant. And when oh, you, what your memories are of, of Danny as a person and a player? Well, you know, Danny from Fredericton is, uh, you know, the Maritimers are a different breed. They're beautiful. Uh, they they just open their heart to everybody. They're, they're a part of Canada that uh, are the most hospitable people you'll ever run into. And Danny, Danny was a true Maritimer, and uh, he he was great. Uh, and uh, by geez, by he he liked his Roman Coke, uh, like uh, you know. And it was he was he was an exceptional hockey player. And uh, uh, Detroit was <laughs> was very grateful to get hold of Danny Grant. But uh, Mickey Redman and Danny uh, were uh, they were they were buddies, uh, you know, playing in Peterborough and Junior, and then they ended up, you know, in in Houston together. And so it was it was a, a friendship that. Uh, that lasted until Danny passed away. I think it was just a couple couple of weeks ago. So it was, it was uh, you know, I was I was saddened because I, I I knew Danny. I had lost touch over the last number of years. But I believe that year, the first year in the NHL, Danny Grant and Norm Ferguson were both up for the Calder Trophy. Right. Norm Ferguson, Norm Ferguson with uh, with Oakland, uh, and uh, Danny. I think. Uh, was with Montreal, not or maybe it was no, I think it was Montreal. They were up for the rookie of the years, and uh, both from the Maritimes, uh, Norm from Sydney and Dan from from uh, Fredericton. I think Danny Danny beat him out for the Calder, but uh, two two exceptional uh, human beings. And the one thing that uh, that hockey did for me is that it certainly was an education, a world education. That uh, like I said, when you come from a uh, district of Montreal and an upper duplex and you, you get to see the different places that hockey uh, allowed me to see, but the friendships you made were absolutely incredible and they're lifelong friendships. You can, uh, Ernie Hickey came into town here with a hockey team from California a number of years ago and he was my roommate in Houston. I mean, we had the, we played with each other against each other and, uh, uh, you know, you could sit down over a couple of beers and, and reminisce, and it was just like yesterday. You know, you mm-hmm. those type of friends, those type of friendships, uh, as as you've witnessed in all these alumni things with Boston and New York that you just uh, completed. Those friendships never, never go away. You, you, uh, you played with or against a lot of these guys, and uh, they're friends for life. It's just an incredible fraternity. Well, that's probably the best thing about hockey is that. Loyalty and that fraternity that seems to last forever. You really don't see that a lot in life, and the bond between the the players and their teammates and the communities in which they lived is something very unique to the game. And you see, Mark, uh, all these guys too. Uh, charitable events. Uh, it's just uh, people don't realize. Uh, I, here in Montreal, I I've been very fortunate enough, but I I've run a lot of charitable events, and I I. I Actually, when I was eight years old, I had a disease called osteomyelitis, which is a disease that eats the bone. So it's amazing that I was able to go on and play professional hockey. But I was in the Shriners Hospital. And uh, uh, so the Shriners have a golf tournament, and I, and I uh, give back every year. And I just have to, you know, 
some of the biggest names, uh, you know, Elmer Locke, uh, like I said, Red Story, uh, you know, Dickie Moore uh, in football here, Peter Riva, but the, the hockey players, uh, you know, um, Donnie Marshall, Dollar Samuel, I would just pick up the phone. Phil Goyette, who, you know, uh, was still going strong, uh, thank you, Lord, and, uh, and, and all of these guys, I'd pick up the phone and I'd say, is there any chance you uh, you could come to this event or that event or this event? And, and never ever did I did I have any of them if they had a, a conflict that was maybe another tournament. But you know, I, I they all showed up at these tournaments that, that I helped uh, you know for years and years to promote, mm-hmm. and they were all there. They they just showed up. They never asked a dime. They they, they played uh, they played with people. They. Uh, they, they, you know, they they brought uh, some different memorabilia. They signed things. Uh, you know, big, even Big Jean Bellego. Uh, yeah. You know, like he, when he was at <clears throat> after he had his cancer in his throat, I uh, I had called him and I said, Sean, uh, is it possible? You know, for the Shriners? And he said, Oh, Robert. And uh, I said, uh, Elise, my wife, has kind of put the damper on me said, because, uh, you know, with the cancer and everything, I, I love the Shriners and I would be there, but Elise would kill me if I said yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he was the guy that was, that was like he had passed away after that phone call, maybe, oh, eight months later. So, you know, like seven months, you know, and that's the type of guy, Big Jean, Henri Richard, I, I, I have a summer place upstate Malone, New York. Henri Richard down there. Dickie Moore came down there. You know, you had you had Elmer Locke down there. Donnie, you know, Donnie, Donnie Marshall. The children at a little community at Malone Golf Course had to raise money for the Civic Center. To, you know, for the kids to have a place to play hockey. Mm-hmm. And here it's all here it's all the greatest of the greatest. And I think at one time at the table there. I think there was a combination of about, uh, believe it or not, I think it was 25 or 30 Stanley Cups. And they would they would stand there and just and they'd sign and everything and then jump in the cars and then come back home. And I'd, 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 I'd thank them and they said, no, no, Bernsey, we want to thank you. This is great, you know, what you're doing for the kids and everything. So I, I can't speak enough for uh, about, you know, the fraternity of players in my era that, uh, that they're absolutely incredible. And, and, you know, like I'm in my seventies now and, and a lot of these guys I just mentioned have passed away, but, uh, you know, there's a lot that are, that are filling in the gaps and, and they're carrying, you know, as the Canadians, uh, they pass the torch, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to, to you with failing hands. And, and that's what we've done. Hopefully we've been good examples to a lot of the players that are coming up we might not have made the money, you know, to make the playoffs made the difference between bottle beer, draft beer, so, <laughs> you know, like, so, but, you know, people always say, are you sorry that you, you know, that you didn't, you know, sign today. Like I score, if you score 18 goals in the national hockey league, you're what four and a half, five million dollar player. Yeah. You know, my, I remember Jagger signing a contract with Washington years ago. It was 11 million or something like that. He made more money in one period than I made my entire career. Mm-hmm. So, 
when you when you look at it and people say, Well you gotta be you gotta be upset or jealous. I said, oh, we played in an incredible, incredible era. You know, so uh I thankful that I had the chance to uh play in the National Hockey League and thankful that I, I met all these people, able to have been associated with all these people. I have pictures in my office of Bobby Orr sending me that you know, the famous one flying through the air. I got a picture of my cousin Pat holding the Stanley Cup, uh, a picture, you know, picture of uh, all the, like the Penguin teams I played on Kansas. You know, like those memorabilia things uh, are just so valuable. And it was funny. I have a picture of myself in a Penguins uniform with that multiple color blue, you know. And it wasn't until Crosby played in that uh you know, in the outdoor game when Pittsburgh went back to the multicolored blue, a lot of my grandkids who had passed that picture hundreds of times turned around and went, "Oh, they call me Dobber, Dobber." Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the same. That's the same color as, as Crosby was with. Right. You know, like all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the light went on, the bell. Or- those are beautiful. You know, I was talking to somebody about that recently. You know, when I worked for the Penguins, one of my jobs in Pittsburgh was to manage the merchandising, and the first thing that I sold and developed as we brought back, we called the Legacy Line, was that blue jersey. That was back in 1993, 94, because I thought they were beautiful. Um, and so I'm glad they've been able to revive them and glad your grandkids can appreciate the connection now between you, uh, yourself and the Penguins. It, it was, you know, like I, I look at these pictures uh, as I'm talking to you now. Yeah, I'm in the office in 1971, 72. And I'm looking, uh, you know, and it's... Jim Rutherford at the end of the bench, and then 72, 73, and, you, and I look at guys, and, and the sad part about looking back at a lot of these things, and a lot of a lot of really good friends and players I played with over the years, and management uh, have passed away, and that's the sad part. But the, you know, the happy part is that you're you're sitting and you're looking at pictures, and and, and immediately your your memory bank, you know, right. goes goes back to certain situations, and and, and all you can do. You, it has to bring a smile to your face. You you can't do anything else but think of certain players, certain evenings, uh, certain games. And uh, you know, I played with Eddie Shack, and I roomed with him. And I, uh, I, you're not supposed to have phone calls. So I said, "Holy crap!" I was like a telephone answering service, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember when I was playing when he was in Buffalo, I was racing down for the puck. Uh, for icing anyways and he touched it and they called icing and he turned around and he pointed at me and he said you won you know, <laughs> it was a race you know you're right I'm Bobby Orr same thing when I uh, when I the first time I got on the ice with Bobby when I played uh, uh, in the NHL and I lined up against Bobby and he turned and he said he said holy shit Burns he took you long enough to get here <laughs> I, said, I said the name wasn't Orr you know so that was the type of uh, you know camaraderie that you had back then and then those those things are, are cherished memories. So one one thing that hockey has provided it it's provided me with a dream come true. I was able to uh, uh, be in the hockey business uh, at a very young age, uh, buying skates, and then I I went into Micron and we we started that company. And then of course with iTech, my uh, my own company that I ran for and owned for twenty years, mm-hmm. and. And when you look at it, and like you said, and, and the representing coaches started by my cousin Pat Burns, God rest his soul. But it was it was like when you look at the ride that I've been on, and 
lot of a lot of different people there. Uh, uh, you know, the the book that was read that Don Cutter the wrote about the Kansas City County. He said I should write a book, and I said, oh. Half the half the things I couldn't print. So. <laughs> <laughs> no question. You know, you've been associated with Mark, and you know as well as I do, and a lot of people listening, that those uh, those memories are, are are unbelievable, cherished memories. Right, and you have the number one trait in happiness in a human being, and that is gratitude. You're grateful for what you've had and what you've accomplished, and. Just going back in sixty nine seventy, the Houston players, you go to the American Hockey League with the Montreal Voyageurs. And this team, the Houston team, team, I was going to say, the Houston teams team. were loaded, but this team, you've got you know, Guy Chiron, Zhu Druan, Bobby Sheehan, Larry Plough still, Mark Tardif, Peter Mohavlich. Uh, you could go on and on. Al McNeil, player yep. player coach that year. Can you? Uh, what's your, your memory of that powerful uh, Voyageurs team in your last year in the Montreal organization. Well, the uh, the big thing uh, is that uh, you know we we practiced before the Canadians like eight thirty to ten, and the Canadians came on ten to you know eleven thirty or whatever. So uh, you know our dressing room was was just down the hall from the big team. So to strive to get uh, down the hall was something that uh, most players would. You just named a lot of names there that are, you know, like gone on to have incredible careers uh, in in the National Hockey League. Uh, you know, Jack Norris went on from there. I think the following year, if if, if memory serves me correct, I think the following year, uh, and within two years, I think there was every player on that team except for one or two. Uh, ended up in the National Hockey League, which is pretty incredible when you look yes. at a team of of twenty twenty two players. When you only have two players out of an entire team that did not graduate to the National Hockey League, I mean Bob Berry went on to L.A., Jack Morris, uh, Reggie Hull, uh, Tardif, uh, you know, like the the players that you mentioned, uh, all the defensemen, and the, you know. The, the Larry Plows, like I said, all these 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 players, they just went on, like I said, to to higher levels, uh, including myself. I was fortunate enough to, you know, I, I think Canadians traded me for two dozen broken sticks to Pittsburgh. I was very <laughs> grateful uh, that I I was able to. And, and Sammy Pollock, uh, you know, God love him. He, if if you weren't in Canadians' plans, uh, he he made it. Uh, uh, kind of a passion that he placed a lot of his players with NHL teams, and I think most guys, you look back and you have to be grateful, uh, grateful for expansion because you know, in the, back in the day when when I first, uh, you know, only had original six, and it was pretty, pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, Jay David Molson had the greatest line: go to training camp, and you had, uh, you know. The Canadians had only won about four or five Stanley Cups in a row, and J. David Molson said, "There's not one job on this team that's secure." And you're looking around the room. You <laughs> <laughs> got, like I said, the belly roll, the hundred shards, and so on, and so on, and so on, and Jill Trombley and, and J. C. Trombley, and all these. Well, yeah. Everybody, everybody, kind of look and go. You gotta be kidding me! Every there's not one job secure in this team. <laughs> and, and you know, you, you kind kind of say to yourself, 
you know, like that's a that's a bold statement, Mr. Walton. But uh, anyways, it it was it was like absolutely incredible. So the Voyagers, uh, Sammy, uh, he put that together. We played we played there. And then the following year, I think they split Montreal and Halifax. Uh, and then the year after that, they went to Halifax. But it was it was something when you had <clears throat> we played on a Friday night and we get seven thousand. Canadians would play on a Saturday night and get 15. And the junior Canadians, um, they would play on the on the Sunday night and get probably about 16,000 or something. That was the era that uh, the junior Canadians were outdrawing the Canadians, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So it was it was uh, it was an incredible. You know, when you look at it, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the Montreal Forum. Chant, except we were the American Hockey League team, and we'd only get seventy five hundred. <laughs> but, but you know the the experience with the with the Voyagers again in the Montreal organization. I was very fortunate, as I said, my home week was uh, the Forum from the time I was thirteen till I was about twenty one years old. So it was uh, it was uh, uh, you look back, and I don't think I appreciated as much as I should have. That's understandable. You're just a young guy focused on your career at that time, and your career takes a significant turn as the Canadians trade you to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you spend a few years in Hershey, their American Hockey League affiliate. That team has a lot of success on the ice and a lot of fun off the ice with Frank Mathers and that uh, legendary Bears franchise. Well, Hershey has, uh, it, it probably, uh, if there's, if there's uh, a spot in my heart uh, that, that is, uh, you know, anytime you can, uh, I still I still wear the Hershey Bear ring, uh, 73, the Calder Cup. And people went, you know, is that a Stanley Cup ring? I said, no, it's American Hockey League. And I'm very proud to, to be wearing it because it was it was a time uh, in, in, you know, with Pittsburgh Penguins, I, the expression I was toilet seating with them, like they'd bring me up, I'd send me down. They'd bring me up and send me down. And uh, finally, the, the final year in, in, in uh, 73, 74, Jack Button, uh, God rest his soul, he, I said, Jack, there's an expansion coming up next year, uh, which was Kansas City and Washington. I said, why don't, we just, uh, why don't we just leave me in Hershey here and let me concentrate on uh, – on, on what I can do here in Hershey and, and the Hershey team. And uh, like you mentioned, the man, Frank Mathers, who was a big influence on my life uh, because Frank, he knew how to deal with men. He, uh, he was, he was uh, the coach's coach. As, as Scotty Bowman was, was so, so much of a tremendous coach, uh, uh, Frank Mathers uh, uh, was an incredible hockey player in his day, but he was – he was also an incredible coach and an incredible general manager, and uh, he had he had made uh, Chuck Hamilton, who I played with in Hershey the year before. He made him the coach, so that's always a difficult transition for any for any young man who was a player to then coach. Uh, you know, people that were older than him, Ralph Keller, uh, at the time uh, was older than him, and uh, you know, so we had a team of uh, a lot of. Uh, people that were assembled, we were the Pittsburgh Farm Club, but a few other a few other teams had had sent some players there, and then Hershey also owned uh, about four or five players themselves. So it was it was a, a, an incredible time, a lot of fun. I mean, the, the pranks that we did, oh my God! Uh, when 
when I think, uh, you know, it was uh, around this time of the year, Halloween, and I, <laughs> uh, Bob Johnson, who was our goer, who was uh, Sid Abel's son-in-law, <laughs> and he went up, Bob, Bob Johnson went on to the NHL and uh, with Pittsburgh as well, and we went, uh, I think we, we might have had a couple of extra pops. I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> Probably. It could have been a couple of extra pops, and we were knocking on the door trick-or-treating, and we knocked on, on Chuck at Chuck's door on, on the notes. We thought he was on a different floor, and he opened the door, and he, we, we were sitting there with a Halloween mask at about 2 in the morning, and <laughs> we, we went trick-or-treating. Trick <laughs> <laughs> As he opened the door, we kind of gave it this one, ooh, trick-or-treating, and we said, I guess. years, 17 years, and 
so we had the mixture, and then uh, then he had all who went on to do a tremendous NHL career, and and Bob Johnson, uh, you know, BJ were our goalies. So we we had we had an unbelievable team, and we and the wives got along, which is important. All the wives were there, all the team was there. We all we all enjoyed each other's company. We we did crazy things, and uh, and and like I said. Um, we, I was fortunate enough to um, to lead the league in scoring uh, and and the playoffs and goals and I, and and Sid Abel was the general manager of uh, um, of Kansas City and he had uh, he had spoken to me and said you know we'd be we'd be interested to draft you and I uh, and and then Washington said they'd be interested to draft me and uh, then Jack Button came to me and he said Robin I know I made you a promise that. Uh, I'd leave you in Hershey, but uh, he said, uh, I think you've matured into a, a hockey player that we'd like to have on the Penguins. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, Jack, uh, you know, you promised me one thing. And I said, I I think I'll take my chances in the draft. And then, of course, World Hockey came in, and they were trying to uh, draft me for uh, the, uh, what was it, the Vancouver Blazers. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so... Uh, I know I, I dealt with uh, Sid Abel and Sid said, have your agent call me. And I said, I, I am the agent, Sid. Nice. And so he started to laugh and said, just for doing that, he says, you're going to get a few more bucks. Uh, and I signed a, a four-year deal with Kansas City, and uh, that was that was phenomenal. So, uh, uh, you know, Hershey was something. I have my, my second son born, Todd. Uh, uh, he was born in the... Uh, in Hershey and my daughter was born in Montreal. So both boys ended up with dual citizenship and, uh, you know, and my daughter's, uh, my daughter's 51, my son's 50 and my other son's 47. I have nine grandchildren. So there is my greatest legacy, but, uh, Hershey is a, has a real soft spot in my heart. Uh, it, it was tremendous. I mean, when you, we lived across the street from the Hershey arena and the bachelors lived in a brown house, uh, so it, it was just, it was an experience that uh, it, you and I would be on the phone for two days uh, telling you <laughs> about all the fun and things we uh, we did there. So that, that was great, Mark, and uh, thanks for asking that question. Right, well, you, uh, as you said in the playoffs, you moved through Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Providence. You win it all, and as you well, noted... Cincinnati, it's, it's a, I scored a goal at 1959 of the third period, to break a zero-zero tie, and uh, the the lights flashed, like the goal light came on and the siren went on, and uh, I remember Bob Johnson. We were we were at Ami's bar after having a couple of pops, and it was about two hours after the game. And Bob Johnson said, "Holy crap!" He said, "I am I got a shutout tonight." That's how excited we were, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to win it. But nineteen, and that's that was a game we knocked Cincinnati in. Right. Well, you, as I said, you had the relationship with Sid Abel. You parlayed your success in Hershey to uh, landing in the expansion draft with the Kansas City Scouts, which was the original um, inspiration for me calling you because I had read the book by Troy Treasure, who uh, can capsulize the entire history of the Kansas City Scouts for those those two years. And um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. The atmosphere... It was. This was a tough sell in Kansas City. Really, the team was underfunded, 
and uh, it was going to take a while to grow that there. But again, now you're playing regularly in the National Hockey League. You're playing for Bep Gielen, who had coached in the Stanley Cup Finals the year before with the Boston Bruins. So talk a little bit about coming to Kansas City and what that first year was like with the expansion scouts. Well, the, the Crosby Kemper Arena was, wasn't was complete. So, you know, we had to open uh, that year our uh, our first, I think it was 10 games on the road. So for an expansion team, uh, I remember uh, it, it was it was difficult to, uh, we opened against Toronto, and uh, I led the league in penalties, uh, and, and not the most auspicious opening for myself with the Kansas City Scouts. I end up with 16 minutes in penalties uh, uh, that opening night. Uh, I mean, Davey Keon, and I think they beat a 6-2, and uh, Beth Quinlan, uh, after he pulled me aside, and he said, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be aggressive, but he said, uh, he said, Expansion team there. He said playing against some of these other teams, uh, you gotta you gotta tone that down a little bit. But uh, you know, it was opening night, the adrenaline's flowing. My right. parents got <clears throat> yeah, everybody's there, and you know, I, I guess I took a few runs that I I should have. And uh, but it, it was it, Kansas City was was uh, again a dream come true. You know, an expansion team. Uh, all the guys coming together, and uh, uh, Peter McDuffie, who I, uh, he was playing with the Providence Reds that we beat out for the for the Calder Cup, uh, and you know some of these guys who were on the team that uh, he had played against uh, for years, and Simon Nolet, who had just won the cup in uh, in, in Philly, so Will Fremont, who was uh, a rookie, and uh, he was the number one draft choice, and uh, he he was a tough kid. Uh, uh, Right, literally off the farm, and uh, uh, you know Rosie Paymont, his older brother. And mm-hmm. We had we had uh, we had a mixture, and then uh, that woman uh, behind the bench was uh, he was a really different type of coach. Uh, he was a very laid back coach. He didn't really push us, uh, at, uh, you know, like like I had a, a lot of different coaches, and his style was a little different for sure. And, uh, and so, you know, but my first year in Kansas City, I, I was fortunate enough to play with Simone and Wilk, and I scored 18 goals. And, uh, you know, I was on top of the world. It was uh, it was a phenomenal place. The people of Canada, the, the actual fans that, that supported us were enthusiastic and uh, as pointed out in, you know, in Troy's book uh, that uh, the, the fan base there was, uh, was a tremendous fan base, even though we, we didn't sell out. And I, I look back, and as I said in, in that book, I didn't think they utilized the players enough. They didn't get us out into the public enough. They didn't get us out in speaking engagements, they, you know. And there was a, a, a huge amount of uh, ownership. I think we had, uh, you know, in reading that book, I didn't, I didn't really realize how many, uh, how many owners that we had. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess there was there was a little bit of problem at the management uh, level, but one of the owners, George Shore, uh, and Bob Fisher, the, the, he was the lawyer for the team, and George Shore, they they became good friends as well as owners. And uh, you know, people say, well, the owners should never get too friendly with the players, but 
the Shore family was just they they owned Shore Tire, uh, which was a huge uh, tire business in in multiple states. Uh, you know, Missouri, Kansas, Missouri, and surrounding. And George Shore and his wife and and, and his brother they 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 just were so hospitable and they were wonderful, wonderful people. And they, they just, they, they befriended us and, and, uh, we returned the friendship. Uh, and it was, it was, uh, we, a lot of us bought homes there. And, uh, I was, I was surprised that the NHL pulled the pin on them, but then reading, uh, reading the book, you can understand a little more of, of the business dealings of the national hockey league, uh, moving it to Colorado with Jack Vickers, uh, the owner of Vickers Oil, so it was it was it was a, a time and, and it was a two year a two year span that uh, I think if it, if things were very different then I could uh, I could put a list of the positives and negatives and uh, looking back as 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 hindsight is twenty twenty you can always uh, you can always look at things and say we, we could have we would have we should have and and so on and so forth but. Uh, Kansas City was uh, was certainly a, a, a great place to play, a, a nice city to live in. Um, you know, like uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were were number one. The Royals at that time were uh, were uh, uh, you know an unbelievable ball club, and uh, and the Kings, the Kansas City Kings, the the basketball team was in, and so there was a lot of pro sports there, and 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 Kansas Kansas City. Uh, uh, we we uh, met our neighbors uh, in Kansas City. Uh, we uh, we've been friends with uh, for 45 years, and uh, uh, she uh, it, Linda Thompson and Bill Thompson. Linda just passed away last uh, November, but uh, uh-huh. they've been they've been friends, and we stayed close friends and their kids and everything for the last 45 years. So those are the type of things uh, that hockey allowed you that you made friendships not only with players but with people in all the different cities right and those type of things you can't buy in a store uh those type of relationships that last in th- oh, that, that no. span and of time yeah i mean you know like, like i keep coming back you've been involved in hockey uh most of your life and and, and like you said you look back and on the experiences and the places you've been the people you've met and everything like that you can't help but smile and, and look at uh the past and say you were very fortunate and as I as I have been. In reading Icing on the Plains, Troy Treasure's Kansas City Scouts book, I was reminded of the fact that the 75-76 season started pretty decently for the Kansas City Scouts, actually pushing St. Louis for the division lead and then inexplicably follows a 44-game streak in which you won only one game. So my question is, and I had this for Dennis Heron recently and various players who've been in this situation, is it difficult to maintain focus and intensity when you're losing night after night? Well, it was, you know, it's it's a difficult, difficult uh, uh, question to answer because when you're going through it, uh, you know, like you lose, you lose uh, like two games, you lose five games, you, you know, you lose uh, uh, ten games and, and – um, uh, you know, I I, I remember a, a newspaper article. Someone someone asked me, said, "What what what's happening here?" And, and you know, in Kansas City, 
And I said, well, it's a spontaneous nurturing of the fruits of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he went, what? I said, well, instead of giving you a, a bunch of BS with the old cliches, I said, uh, I thought maybe I'd spice it up a little. So you, you, <laughs> That's for sure. You, you know, when, when, you, when you look at it, it we, we, instead of, you know, instead of winning games, we would almost expect to lose a game. We would be winning 3-2, and we'd, we'd lose 4-3. We, I don't know. Uh, you know, positive breeds positive, and negative breeds negative. And we had, we had just turned, like I said, we were, we were almost looking for a playoff berth, and then, like you just said, the wheels went off, but the, the wheels just didn't fall off. They blew off. Right. You know, like, <laughs> and to try, to try and explain... Like it was every different game, we'd screw up in a different way. It was almost virtually impossible. If you put a, a, a culmination of all the screw ups, you know, you'd say this is impossible. But it it, it happened, and uh, you know, Washington beat our record, and then and then years later, Winnipeg beat our record. So you know, uh, you ask the people Washington, many of the players say the same thing, and and there was not there was good players, and I remember. I hurt my knee that year, uh, like, and I, and, and when you get, you know, when you strain a ligament or something like that, you, 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 you're out for a few, a few weeks and you come back and it just is one of those nagging things that mm-hmm. would never, would never almost, uh, you'd never get your, your, the step back, but it just seemed we had five or six guys that were in that same category where some nagging little injuries, uh, uh, just crept up on us, and uh, we, you know, so goaltenders were changed. Uh, different, you know, people came in, different per, uh, personnel. Uh, the, the Steve Drabanos of the world, the uh, the um, uh, uh, Phil Robertos. It was the first time I had ever witnessed. Uh, uh, I, I never put that in, the, in any of the books. You know, it was the first time I ever witnessed uh, drugs. Uh, that came into uh, came into play, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Grabano, God rest his soul. We were we were flying back. We played New York. We were flying back, and he opened his bag, and he had this bag of uh, marijuana. I said, "Derby, what the hell is this?" And he said, "Oh, Burns, you should try it." He said, "You mellow right out." Uh, and I I never tried it with him, but you know, like that was the sort of thing uh, that that crept in. And I I can't say drugs was the cause, but it didn't help. Right. And, uh, and Derby, uh, God rest his soul. I think if you, you read uh, anything up on Derby and the, what happened to him, uh, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, Derby said, uh, geez, Bernsey, you know, you, you go to Columbia, you, you drop down, you drop down like uh, 25, 50 grand. And he said, you know, you bring back these, this cocaine. And he said, you're set for life. Well, we all know that he, he went to Columbia and dropped down big, a lot of money and brought back a lot of cocaine and he got caught at the border and ended up going to prison and one thing led to another and he passed away in, in Alaska. Uh, you know, he, he just, he went from, he went from bad to worse and he passed away up there and Derby, you know, the, the booze and the drugs, uh, as it got to a lot of players, uh, and a lot of people in life and, that was the first time in 75, 76 that I can honestly say 
first time ever that I uh, had witnessed uh, uh, any sort of drugs. It was always, it was always, you know, the boys with with, with a few beers. Mm-hmm. So Kansas City, um, great memories. And in reading Troy's book, there was great memories, and it was sad memories because you. In the, in the book, it, it certainly brought things out, uh, people that have passed away and different things. And so as entertaining uh, that Troy did write in the book, uh, it was also eye-opening, uh, you know, when you when you actually read it in print about a lot of people that you played with uh, that are no longer with us. So, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, all in all, all it was, like I said, I, I always I always sneak back to a smile on my face in those days, and you know, and uh, but you know, like I I just there was it was an article that was uh, that was written years ago, and I said the scouts laughing, but fans not a, not a, amused. Well, it must have been just so so terribly difficult for fans to continue to uh, to support the team, you know. So, anyways, uh, it it was it was. It was a great time. I, I, I look back at pictures. I have long hair and a Pooh Man chew. Oh, I'll never forget the mustache. That's what I remember about you. It was so uh, you, you, you had such a distinctive look. And yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, like you know, I, I never had to worry about going into any uh, beauty contest. Uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, that was a long. That was a year of. Uh, of long hair and, and the full man, full man shoes, and mm-hmm. my grandchildren look at it and they go, "Is that really you?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the seventies, uh, the crazy seventies. During all this time, you're you, out of necessity, perhaps, or your own entrepreneurial spirit. You're working in the off season with with Lang, Lang Skates. Now, your career at 75-76 is your last year in the National Hockey League. What transpires as the team moves to Colorado with yourself? Obviously, you could hang on somewhere, uh, but you make the decision to move on from your career. Uh, talk a little bit about that transition to the uh, post-career days. Well, you know, uh, like I, I would never have and never have considered myself, uh, you know, uh, I was more of a journeyman, and I and I had three kids, and I uh, I'd been working. Uh, lucky enough, Terry Harper uh, uh, and Bob Lang uh, kind of got together, and they were talking about skates. So I was working with Lang, and Terry Harper asked me to join him. He said, "He said, Bernsey, he said, uh, you know, you you're really full of bullshit, and you can talk your way." Uh, so he said, uh, "Why don't you Why don't you try some of these these new molded skates?" and uh, it was it was like a ski boot with a blade on. Anyways, I worked with Lang in, in the summertime, and then I I went on. And um, uh, a friend of mine, Phil Shirello, passed away. God rest his soul. He was dealing with a company in Italy, uh, and we were looking at starting a new uh, a new skate. And so, uh, uh, in, 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 when the team moved to uh, Colorado, and uh, you know you. you you're sitting there, and uh, when management says, you know, to the uh, in the press, well, people, don't worry, we'll get rid of most of these players and bring in some decent players. And so, um, when uh, when they when they asked me, you know, to they brought in uh, Ron Andrew and 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 Shanahan as left wingers, and then they 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 said to me that well, we're gonna 
we're going to send you down to Providence. And I said, uh, I don't think so. Why don't we, uh, why don't we just settle this thing and talk about George Shore and, 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 and Bob Fisher with Kansas city. They flew into Colorado and represented me uh, with Jack Vickers. And I had two years remaining on a contract and Jack Vickers uh, was a good friend of uh, Bob Fisher. And uh, they settled it. I think I got 95 cents on the dollar for it. Wow. And uh, when I, when I walked in uh, to the general manager's office uh, at the time, uh, he was kind of blown away that uh, Mr. Victor actually came in and he said, I've settled, I've settled with this young man. And, uh, uh, and he, he said, he said to, uh, 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 the, um, I get the name fails me right now, uh, um, the general manager of um, at the time in Kansas City, uh, and he just he just said uh, said, well, I I hope you're doing the right thing by letting this young man go. So um, so they they helped me solve that, and I I I could have gone to Indianapolis Racers, I could have gone to, but I had been working with this skate company, and we were going to start a new one, and uh, I I I really. You know, in your heart, uh, I, I knew, I knew I could probably still play uh, uh, several more years, but I, I'd probably be moved around with three kids, and uh, be moved around like when we were in. We had actually moved to Denver, and I was in there, and my kids were at that time probably in, in in five or six different schools, and I, I just said, you know what, Robin, uh, uh, I had an opportunity to come back in the to not come back but to get into the business world and I don't have a high level of education so it just made I had to pay attention and uh, I learned my trade uh, through uh, this uh, gentleman called Phil Shrello we started a Micron skate company which uh, uh, we ended up buying Lang out and uh, I was Phil was president I was in lack of a, a different title I became assistant to the president and I learned my trade I just I, I, I spent time and I learned the business. I learned sporting good business, and I, 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 I then, I then, uh, you know, was able to travel the world uh, with this skate company, and we became the number one in the mobile skate world. And uh, so we were selling to forty some odd companies. And then uh, after being with them for seven years, I, I got Nick playing uh, uh, old timers hockey, and actually Red Story was a referee, and I. Uh, I said to Red, there's got to be something to protect players' uh, uh, eyes who are going to work the next day. And that's how the concept of iTech uh, came into being. And I, uh, I retired from, from Micron. Uh, and it's a funny story. I was sitting there when I told my three kids that I was uh, uh, leaving Micron. And uh, my uh, daughter, who was uh, what, 13 at the time, said, uh, Dad, uh, you know, does that mean we have to move? Because I think she had a boyfriend, I don't know, something. <laughs> and my my young son, Todd, he said, does that mean we don't get any more free skates? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then uh, my eldest son, Randy, who uh, looked me uh, square in the eye, and he said, don't you strive to be president of a company? He said, you're president of Micron right now. Why, why are you quitting? And I said, well, maybe one day son you'll understand but it's in my heart to, to do my own thing and uh, so I, I, I ventured out on this uh, this whole thing with the full facial shield the clear plastic shield and uh, 
so I, I, I married the technologies, uh, polycarbonate, and I, one thing led to another. And I, uh, you know, I was too, one thing about an entrepreneur, someone says, you know, what's, what's a, a true entrepreneur? Well, you've got to be kind of stupid to be a real good entrepreneur because <laughs> if, you, if you ever realized the mountain you had to climb, you'd never, you'd never climb it. No, you know, you never, are, you're totally correct. And when, uh, yeah. when people romanticize entrepreneurship, they don't understand what the, the the grind is, the risk is. You've got a family to take care of. You've had a secure position, a high position with a successful company. You've got a great idea, though, and you know it, it's it's viable. However, getting it done, getting... Now, I found it fascinating reading about the certification process where you had two huge potential disasters do, and then you have to really believe this to keep going. So for people who are out there who are starting businesses, who have businesses, it's a good lesson to learn. So in, in two different occasions, number one, you create, everything's created, you're ready to go, you're testing it, and it's it's kind of like it's edging down at the player's noses, which uh, you can't get certified because of that. The other time, because it's a molding issue, I'm just giving you generals as I remember the story, you have a, a big, uh, they, they crash on the, on the floor of the warehouse and splinter apart. Each, the bottom line is in order to that's where most that's where the rubber meets the road in entrepreneurship that's where most people maybe myself included would have said you know, I can't do this this is crazy but you keep going talk a little bit about that that perseverance some of those challenges the mo- monumental challenges you had to uh, to get through that experience and make ITEC the huge success that it uh, has been well the big the biggest thing Mark as I said you, you can't be that smart <laughs> and you know, I, I remember I remember going. We had uh, like uh, because of the molecular structure of polycarbonate, and 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 what happened was that the formula at the manufacturing level, and and the first time the the, the shield uh, it when it, it, it fell on the floor, and here you, you get a protective vice shield, and 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 it, and it shatters. So you know, I I I, I could have renamed the company the Phoenix. So I, <laughs> I I just said I said you know. And I went to bed, and I and I, uh, you know, I I'm a, a, a pretty strong Christian, and I, I kind of just said, Lord, I said I'm not that bright. I said, man, you you seem to be fairly sharp, you know. <laughs> so I said, I said, you know what, big guy, uh, whatever it is, I said, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to continue this thing, and you could maybe help me. Uh, and I said, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And I, I always had the confidence in myself, Mark, that. I was the best salesman I've ever met. So I, 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 I could get a job selling. So I knew I could feed my family getting a job in the sporting goods world because I knew so many people. And, and, and uh, you know, because of my bullshit, I could, I could uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, sell, sell a, lot of, a lot of different products. And, and I was fairly knowledgeable about the sporting goods industry at that time. But the big thing was, you know, I, I 100% didn't want to fail because I said this thing, uh, there's answers. And when, when you when you feel in your heart that you could still go, I, I felt in my heart when I, you know, to retire from hockey. I, it was the right thing to do, and and the same thing with this. It was it was the right thing to do, and I just I I persevered and went through it and and got certification and, and went on and. Uh, like I said, the story of a lot of this stuff could take, you know, could take a lot oh, of time. Yeah. To, but the bottom, the bottom line is that I, 
I can always say that I had the confidence in myself. That was the number one thing. Like I said, I, you know, I might be, you know, full of bullshit, but I always had the confidence in myself to, to be able to. And, and the, the biggest thing is someone said to me, Bernsey, where the hell, how the hell did you become so smart? And I said, I said, I'm not smart. I surround myself like a Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. I surround myself with a lot of smart people. And I never, ever failed from that to where I, I hired a lot of small, smart pe- people that were a lot smarter than, than I was, you know, ever, ever pretended to be. And, and these people were the ones that uh, uh, helped me with the success uh, of, you know, iTech. We, we went on uh, from there. Uh, I had the full shield, the half shield, uh, you know, uh, three-quarter shield. Uh, I pioneered. I pioneered so many different products. A product called Jock Plus, uh, uh, which was a combination of a jock and the Velcro, uh, pioneered in the Golden Mass. When I finally sold the company 20 years later, we owned 80% of the world uh, Golden Mass business. Wow! People don't realize I was a pioneer in a lot of these baseball masks. You know that they like look like a goalie mask. I was making masks for, for baseball companies that nobody knew I was making. Uh, and so uh, I started a company called Mountain View Bag, of which I'm in the office right now. Uh, my son owns it, Todd owns it. And Mountain View Bag, I was over in China, and I uh, hockey bags, and people were buying a ton of bags. So I said, well, what the hell, why not start start a bag company? And all, and all important, people went, Bernie, how come you can, your bags are so... So inexpensive, but people didn't realize I owned a bag company, you know, like this. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there was a lot of things that I took advantage of. Uh, and when I, when I finally, you know, I, uh, Bob Negley, God rest his soul, who was the coach, uh, not the coach, but the owner of the Minnesota Wild, and Kevin Compton was also the, the owner of uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, Sharks, uh, San Jose Sharks, and and both those both those men were, were successful, successful, successful entrepreneurs. And so, I I, I was a, a bloodsucker of knowledge, and then I just I learned from people like that, and I I just then uh, parlayed that uh, through. And, and when I when I sold the company, I uh, I, I made I made a, a ton of money that I I never expected. Uh, what, uh, you know, I still haven't told my wife how much, you know, so, <laughs> uh, but you know, like, uh, after all in, in the, the business, the business world has changed so much today because of, uh, you know, the internet and the fast moving and things. But back then when I, when I was, uh, at the peak in the business world, it was relationships that, uh, relationships with either people in China or people are, you know, all over the world. I sold to 42 companies that, uh, countries and I when I sold it uh, we were uh, approximately the third biggest hockey company in the world and people people were shocked to hear that so uh, but quietly you know you, you, you stick handle quietly you don't step on the big Nikes or the Adidas toes and you know mm-hmm. so you you can stick handle through and uh, so I, that was that was you know how the business career uh, took off and uh, Certainly, uh, the same thing applied to uh, when I was representing, you know, the different coaches. So, uh, just it started with Pat Burns, 
and uh, Jacques Leperrier, and then it went on. Like I said, uh, I ended up, I ended up, you know, representing Terry Murray and uh, John Tortorella, and Dave King, Michel Teddy, Alain Vigno, and Guy Charon. I just top head. I'm trying to remember. There's, there's other ones, and I remember when I negotiated with uh, with Pat Burns with, with Boston. Uh, uh, Michael Connell was a general manager, but uh, but Harry Simmons was pulling the shots, and so mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, I remember we were sitting there, and, uh, and 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 we had we had pretty well settled on a bunch of things, but there was a whole. Uh, I knew Harry didn't want to break the million dollar barrier for a coach, so you know, like Harry was different. He turned me uh, once and he said, "You know, can Pat be a broom?" And I said, Harry, I grew up in Toronto, a Maple Leafs fan. Are you a broom? And he said, yeah, I like that answer. And then I remember <laughs> the young, the young, I said, the young lawyer that I, that I was in there, and he couldn't believe that I didn't have a law degree. I said, I didn't know you, you needed a law degree to negotiate a contract. And the guy said, well, I just surmised. I said, no, are you kidding? I said, my best three years of high school were grade eight. You know, so I, <laughs> so, you know, you look at it all, and uh, after all is said and done, and then Harry Harry had a press conference at eleven, and uh, Pat was waiting in a taxi. We we went there at ten, and I had another five or six items to complete, uh, and so I just I knew that the cameras were waiting at uh, eleven o'clock, and so I got a hell of a lot done between uh, quarter to eleven and five to eleven, you know. And so, <laughs> yeah. and that was that was through reading a book. Um, about Second World War, where the Japanese uh, bought a villa and the, and the Americans rented three floors of a hotel. Now the Japanese were there to, uh, to you know, to get the best deal, and they they were there to stay for as long as it took. So, mm-hmm. it, in business as in life, uh, you know, I've been very very fortunate. Uh, my greatest legacy, as I say, my nine grandchildren, four, five granddaughters, and uh, and four grandsons, and so I. I've been fortunate. Uh, three of them, uh, three of the girls, have scholarships uh, down in the states for different sports. Uh, the boys are, you know, in universities. Uh, my youngest uh, in high school. The, the young boys are in high school and playing. Uh, I'm going to a football. Uh, they're playing for city championship on Friday. And uh, another, you know, I, I, that is to me. Uh, that's the greatest legacy of my entire life is uh, my wife is number one. She's always, she stuck with me uh, through, through, like I said, when we started the company, uh, I wrote the book on 27 different ways of barbecuing spam, you know, so they, you know, <laughs> the last three was without spam. So <laughs> I've been fortunate. We've been together 55 years uh, and, and we've been very fortunate, like three kids and nine grandkids. So, that that in a nutshell is is probably what what it's all about. Uh, it's just uh, you know right place, right time, right situation, right bullshit, and and you know that's that's pretty well uh, you know it's all she wrote. I, when they when they plant me, they, I, when they plant me, they can always say, hey, I enjoyed it. I, I I ran my road, and I've done you know I've done a lot of crazy things, good things, but uh, you know I. I've done, a, I've done a pretty good job going all around. No question. A series of crossroads in your life and your career and making good decisions. The end result, of course, is the most difficult thing and the most challenging is to produce uh, quality 
children who are contributing to society and you've done that and now you have a, a full crew of grandchildren as well. So you can look back and your legacy uh, in life and in, in hockey in particular, well beyond your hockey playing career, of course, and uh, your impact was uh, is significant. You're not a person who uh, tends to slow down at all. So uh, aside from your, 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 your family, uh, what's going on with Robin Burns uh, these days? Well, I, I do, uh, uh, as, as my wife says, uh, I do uh, a, a tremendous amount of charitable work. I, 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 like I said, uh, you know, like, uh, I, like I, said, I have diarrhea of the lips, uh, you know, and, I, and I, do, I do a lot of public speaking and I do a lot of charitable golf tournaments and I do these crazy auctions at tournament where I, I embarrass everybody at the tournament to get, to get off their wallet and get off their ass and give money and, and so I, I do a lot of that. I, I'm still in a few uh, business ventures that uh, that keep me keep me busy. I, I come into uh, the office. Uh, my my son, uh, uh, you know, give me a, a little office off to the side. I shouldn't say little. It's a nice big office. So I I, I have all the the computerization and everything that, I, that that you need today. And I I keep myself busy and um, I. I'm trying now not to invest as much as divest of right. a lot of the different things that I've uh, accumulated. And I, I try to help. I started in memory of my sister. Uh, uh, we have a called Nazareth Community. It's a, a couple of houses downtown Montreal for people with uh, some mental problems. Uh, and uh, I, I donate a lot of money and my time to uh, the Nazareth Community and Ann's house. So we're, it's a home for people off the street and, uh, I, as I said, I was just in Chicago, and it saddened me to see so many homeless people uh, laying in the streets. And it was 46 Fahrenheit in uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was raining and cold. And I, so I, I, I try to give back as much as I can. I, I, I sat in the board of Procure, which is a, uh, uh, we started, we started this March uh, walk. Uh, to people with prostate cancer, a friend of mine passed away with prostate cancer, so I, I jumped on that bandwagon and uh, got uh, a lot of the got the Canadians involved, the Alouettes here involved, the Impact the SOC team involved, and I so you know I, I knew all these people, so uh, you know, and uh, with a priest friend of mine, Father uh, Father John Walsh, uh, I said, John, between everyone you know and I know, so we kind of uh, put that together and got that going. And we raise a lot of money for that. So we raise a lot of money for Shriners. Uh, raise a lot of money for um, uh, Youth Unlimited. Uh, a lot of the youths, uh, you know, people are, they hit 18 years old and, they, and they, they're and they thrown out in the streets and everything like that. So I'm, I'm trying to give back as, as best as I can financially and, and time-wise. And a few businesses here and there. And a lot of people come to me with, with these uh, entrepreneurial ship type of ideas, you think this will work? And I, 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 I don't pull punches. I, uh, I tell people, you know, like uh, uh, I tell a lot of people, and, and then there's a lot of people, you know, they fly like an eagle and shit like a pigeon. So you know, like, uh, they, <laughs> they, they come in, they get they, they, this grandiose things, and uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend this, spend that. <clears throat> and I say, oh, that's great because. Uh, you know that that that's already been done in the hockey world, the sports world, and so I, I, I keep myself very busy. I community office pretty well every day, but I 
I, I'll come in at 9.30 and, uh, and you know, bring in, bring in a lunch and shoot the crap with people in the office here, and then I, and I'll head home, and I still try and work out a little bit because uh, I'm still a fat crap, so I, I, I try to keep busy and work out. The uh, trainer comes over a few times a week and, and uh, slaps me around, so, I, you know, I, I get two artificial knees, artificial hips. I get two hernia operations, so... When I drive by an airport, the bells go off. So I, you know, like I, I, I've been fortunate. I still golf. Uh, I still, you know, so I, I'm a shitty golfer, but I still golf. Uh, <laughs> right. And everybody cheats at golf, and I, I catch them all. And they said, "Oh no, they don't cheat." Until I said, "Well, you sure you don't cheat, anyways?" <laughs> you know, people are, "Oh, I don't cheat." Uh, hello. So, anyways, uh, that that's kind of been what Robin Burns uh, and family's been up to. Uh, the last number, last number of years. So, well, no I, doubt. I, I, yeah, as I said early, a man of the move, a, a moving target. We're so glad you were able to spend the time. And we went, like I said, we went overtime, but it was well worth it. A lot of life lessons to learn in here, and it was very entertaining, and fascinating interview. And uh, Robin, we thanks, thank you so much for putting the time aside for us today. No, Mark, I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to you know, to shoot the crap with you like this. Uh, you know, it brings back... It, uh, what you do is uh, you interview me and I, I go down memory lane, memory lane, and it's... And it, it, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how long. We probably spend an hour, an hour and a half, whatever it was. But as you can see, I, I've, had, I've had a great run and I, and, and I enjoy life and I, and I enjoy work. I enjoy my family and I enjoy, you know, the pops and... I enjoy an interview like this very much, and I thank you for uh, for giving me the opportunity to shoot the crap with you. Great. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. Hope to talk to you again soon, and thank you, and continued good health and good success to you and your family. You as well. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. Just a reminder to please consider giving the show a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes. These ratings and reviews help us become a lot more visible and make the show more accessible to hockey fans everywhere. I personally read all the reviews and greatly appreciate them all. If you have thoughts or suggestions for the show, you can talk to, contact us through our website at prohockeyalumni.org or be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Pro Hockey Alumni. Thanks for listening.